0: Hello. Two Hello. Chat. 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 Industry. Industry. Chat. industry. Chat. Industry chat. Industry. <laughs> industry Tactics. <laughs> Welcome back to Industry Tactics, a podcast that goes deep into the minds of some of Canada's finest outsider musicians, and this week we're honored to have Hoxley Workman, the incredible producer and musician on the, on the show. Um, We actually just finished going up to Berks Falls to Hoxley's studio and spending five days up there making um, a a new Friendly Rich record with Hoxley and the the monster musician Kevin Bright uh, engineered by Stu Crooks. It was a heck of an experience. I learned uh, learned a lot and um, I'm excited to share that with you very soon but for now this is an interview that Andrew and I did in April uh, Juno Awards weekend actually where we spent some time with the wonderful soul, Hoxley Workman. Enjoy it. I thought about it last night. I've been giving a lot
1: of things thought. Double check my
0: mark here. Oh, this is perfect. We're making perfect time. Is it good? It's decent.
1: I'm gonna make sure everyone's good.
0: You've been giving that some thought, eh? Let's talk about this. I've been giving a lot of stuff thought. Okay. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, I love since those. I saw you last. Chuck 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 chuck. You check, you
0: bought the book the um the me- you bought the meditation book the David uh, the David Lynch. Yeah. You read it in 15 minutes? Yes. Have you been doing the any, the meditation? No, but um, fine. It's horse shit anyways, you know that, right? We
2: we we fake it.
1: Transcendental?
2: Yeah, no. I don't know if it's horse shit. It's not horse shit. No. <laughs> but I think I have lots of thoughts about it. I thought the book, though, my biggest takeaway was his love of digital his love of digital, where we were all in the you know in the music business, lamenting the good old days of like how things used to be, yeah he seemed to be ready and willing to embrace and loved digital as a platform, so I liked that I liked and he went into like why he likes it mm-hmm. and. He likes to be able to shoot for 40 or 50 or 60 minutes at a time. He likes yes. the ability to edit. He likes it as a creative platform, so I thought that was cool.
1: And what was the film he made with the, where it looks, he shot it on like a high 8 digital camera, yeah. like yeah. Uh, Empire State? Is that what it's called? Something st- doesn't he matter, but it. it's yeah, like with yeah, yeah. Laura Dern yeah. okay. and it just looks, I mean, visually it looks at first like garbage and then you kind of fall into this, it's very video looking, like home video looking, mm. but then suddenly you just fall into it and like to shoot a feature film like that with Laura Dern is kind of gutsy. Gutsy? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I really enjoyed uh, that book though. You know, you read mm. it in 15 minutes. I love the idea of... um what transcendental meditation, and I don't do not do it, I've been meditating, That's tinkering good. with it, um, uh, but the idea that it would change your perception looking at a landscape. Mm. You've got a little pea brain now, we all got these pea brains, and he said, with transcendental looking at a, at a <coughs> landscape, you just have a much larger lens. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I also really love the uh, art, what you do, you should be doing it Eight to ten to fifteen to seventeen hours a day. Like he really, I thought, I mm-hmm. thought, like to, to make great work. Yep, you got to be doing it. You got to be immersed. Yep. That really stuck with me. You know, um, good book. Yeah, good book. But you've not been meditating. No, not yet.
2: No, um, it's on, it's like for some reason it's on the list. I've 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 come a long way through. This extreme exercise, Um, through that, I've found a calmness. And to be honest with you, Mm -hmm. my natural penchant for aggression has been lowered significantly by not having that background of anxiety of Mm. coffee. Mm. Okay. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I'm a different person because I will drink, that was my bodum. Yeah. That was my morning coffee. And like you said, it's the first thing to hit my gut. Yeah. And like, I thought I had like irritable bowel syndrome <laughs> and stuff. And it's not. It's all coffee. As soon as I stop coffee, yeah. I'm happier. Hi,
1: yeah. It's and highly acidic stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Nice.
0: Well, why don't we dive right into this then? Yep. Your shits are solid.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah. It's the shits that are terrible when you have a cup of coffee and then you shit 15 minutes later. And you're like, that's not really how the body's supposed to work. I don't think. No. I mean... <laughs> What about
0: beets? Are you into the beets? I love beets. You growing a lot of beets out here? In, no, in, we don't uh, grow them. Um, Burks Falls.
2: Why don't we grow them? I think we're gonna grow them this year. It's one of those things that like um, beets are like prime vegetables that get rotten in the crisper. Like you mm. buy them with great intent, and unless you're like in a juicing mode or a them. pickling mode, yeah. sometimes a yep. beet can kind of just get lost
1: because there's so much juice in there moisture but that moisture just disappears and then you just have this like red hunk of starch
2: and it's the beets too like they're not something that's like oh we have a beet that needs to be used up let's shred it into an omelet like a beet is a very
1: specific
0: thing you gotta juice it you're gonna come do it this year you can leave it in the ground let me make a quick case for beets okay do it you can leave it in the ground all summer Uh uh-huh so your crisper is irrelevant ground is your crisper okay you pull it out as you need it and you need it every night okay because the day later that morning poo yeah gentlemen if you're a workaholic like i am i'm saving i've done the math on this like if you're downing a butter tart a day and that slow poo okay
2: you're on the can for how long? How long? I'm quick. I'm always have been. For me, it's not a career move. I go in there and it's 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 minutes, seconds.
1: You're not a you're not a, a toilet thinker.
2: No. Okay. I don't do that. I, I never really understood that whole thing. It's not a place sometimes on the road I will um I'll take a longer bathroom time, but it's more just because I need mm. solo moment, you know? Yeah. With nobody asking do, me
1: Something. Have you, if you've all, I've always wondered how, like, I'm terrible if I have to have a road trip and then I have to like use the bathroom. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm not like a go anywhere kind right. of a guy.
0: Yeah. You're a constipator.
1: I'm not a constipator. I'm just like, it's not like, okay, let's pull over and I'll go at the coffee dime. It's like, no, nah, we got to go somewhere. I got to chill. I got to be comfortable. Mm. I would never shit in your house, for example. Even yeah. if I had to, I just like wouldn't be able to. Oh, wow. But I feel like, as a musician on the road, you have would have to get over that really quickly, right? It's got to be like, we got five minutes here, so let's go.
2: Well, one of the funny things, like, I feel like as a as a touring musician, like, you know, the world owes me a place to do my business, (laughs) like, because I have a transient life, and you'll see, you know, washrooms are for customers only, blah blah blah. And you know, when I got married, you know, uh, for the first few years. My wife was one of those, well, you gotta buy a juice at least so I can use the bathroom. I'm like, oh okay. But over time she spent time with me on the road and understands that that it is an unforgiving place out there and mm. you do need to steal those moments. Like it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um we'd all love to you know, be customers of the place we pee or poop in, mm. but it's not always gonna work out that way. And you it all works out in the end, I guess. And so now it's been, been some years, and she spent some time on the road. And now we, I can, we can do, we can steal a pee at a Starbucks without having to. And I figure, like, I've already spent tens of thousands of dollars at Starbucks; mm-hmm. they owe me. Mm-hmm.
1: They, Starbucks has a policy that they don't, you, it, you don't have to pay because of that. Because they know that if you if you go there and yeah. you know that you have to pee and you can use the bathroom without any anxiety, you might. Buy coffee on your way out. Or you Or you might, when it's
2: the long confronted
1: game. with a Tim Hortons with a locked bathroom, yeah. and a and a Starbucks, you'll well, go. To Starbucks. I, I, I buy have a feeling there.
2: like Star, um, Tim Hortons has always provided um, an underwhelming bathroom experience. <laughs> they always they have the yeah. worst hand blowers. Yeah, like they are anemic. Yeah, they blow a, a, a dead cold cold air <laughs> from from another time. Yeah, it's always one stall and one urinal, and uh, what I think is th- that there is a boardroom meeting that happened well, well, like years and years and years ago that said, yep. we don't want to become a place where people know they can have a comfortable time here. We want them <laughs> in and out. And that bathroom experience, they've only just started to put those accelerator type um, hand dryers in. But for the most part, it, they the whole experience of, of yeah. using their bathrooms is is underwhelming t- or below. Are you fascinated by the idea that there's a
0: boardroom uh, around all these bad ideas? Like, I love the concept. I, I, that, I isn't think, that
2: fascinating? Like I constantly think of
0: the boardroom. Yeah, I, let's be, make a really bad decision
2: collectively and fucking share it with. Yeah, them. and we're gonna <laughs> believe in it. Like, <laughs> but eh? that just—I mean—that's groupthink. And, and I think you know corporations are these entities that have no. Um, that are unaccountable for that reason alone. Because it, to make a, one bad decision needs 12 men in agreement that this bad decision is a, the, their collective shared experience. And yeah. and I look at everything as a boardroom meeting because everything is. You know, we live in a corporatized world now. So if you're putting something in your mouth, the packaging, everything, it was all dreamed up and and yeah I, it's a s- sad thing that's I think why anything unique or anything that is clearly born of an individual like mm. is so is still so special mm. because uh, because of that groupthink or that yeah. boardroom mentality like you see i mean we we're quite involved even with our local municipality mm. and you 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 see the difficulty in arriving at consensus and it's like, wow, like getting humans on the same page. Yeah. Even if it's for something that is a small idea or a small yeah, move, yeah, yeah. it's difficult and complicated. And um, and two, like I've lived as a you know, self-employed for most of my life. So I'm used to making my own decisions. And yeah, the idea of consensus is I'm just glad I don't have to live with too much consensus building in my, that, my day-to-day. That's a
1: perfect segue into the fact that... Here we Set are. the scene.
2: We're this is that was the warm
0: up. We're the best uh, the best podcast yet, might I say, right? And like we so already talked every, every episode. We already <laughs> talked about dumpings. Yeah, the speed of our dumpings, the prioritization and and, uh, mm-hmm. and democratization of our dumpings. Mm. Uh, we're here in the in the Hoxley Workman Studio, home
1: studio,
2: right? Home studio, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hot. It's very special to be here with you. Thanks. I'm glad you guys came and yeah. Thank you for opening your doors to Whoa. us. So
1: awesome. Um, what I want to know is, back to that consensus, so you work alone, obviously. Most times. So <clears throat> when, when you have, sometimes with consensus, you can bounce an idea, and someone goes, that is a terrible idea, and then you kind of immediately go, y- yeah, what was I thinking? As an as a artist working alone in your home studio a bad idea can have legs. And do you ever feel like like you don't have have a consensus or, or a, a a sounding board? Or do you feel like you have good taste, but like your taste is pretty precise?
2: I don't really... It's funny because that feels like kind of a bit of a hipster-type question, that I've been thinking a lot about music criticism and the way that music is criticized. And, and typically, I don't believe people have... A real opinion of their own. I think that music has always been a way to find your tribe. And once you find your tribe, you buy the T-shirt, and then you feel that collective ownership of the music. And that music then defines your tribe. And mm. then, and, and so when I make music, I think I've, I my records are 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 a 3D depiction of all my bad decisions, of all the reasons why you know critics will take me to task, and like. I love what comes out of my body, and I really rarely judge it or criticize mm-hmm. it, and um, I always just think it's great. Like that's like, which I know is um, it sounds glib a bit, but um,
1: no, that's yeah. that's totally justified. That sums I, yeah, up a lot.
2: I've never really been one of those artists who sits back and and is critical about what it is I'm making it's funny a a friend of mine that's a a real talent though right I don't know oh come on otherwise
0: you'd be stuck and obsessing and I'm not saying that you don't obsess and take
2: pride I'm just a friend of mine who's a a mentor really mm -hmm. uh, he's a he's a successful man who I love and he usually gets me and he said the other day he was pitching me to do a film project and I sent him a couple of my records and he's like I get where you're he said I get where you come from like you're not, I, I said, I've never made a masterpiece and, but I don't have, I'm not interested in making a masterpiece because music has an immediacy to me and I'm not going to sit, like I was watching an interview with Dan Lanwell the other day. Mm-hmm. He talked about making Peter Gabriel's sew and it took a year, like mm-hmm. I've never been interested in taking a year at anything or, or building something and tearing it apart just to rebuild it again. For me, ideas are, mm-hmm. um, to me, there's a trough. And if the horses aren't drinking from the trough, there's no reason to refill it, and I always want the, the trough to need refilling. Mm-hmm. I think ideas should be free in a way like I, which is not to say that I don't think music should be bought and paid for, but I think that I, I know people who've hoarded ideas like well that, let's keep we got to keep that idea for ourselves And I' think, well, right I don't want anything stagnating my drinking water. ideas are I've always believed that um, I have a faith that Giving one away is going to make two for me to choose from later on, and you're not y- too overly territorial about that kind of shit. No, and and I yeah. guess too, like that's why I feel like, yeah, my records are a series of bad ideas, and I think that you know, really like really smart people in the studio would would listen. I remember playing some demos for Bob Ezra when I was working with him, and mm-hmm. I had belted this like overly earnest like, improv vocal over the end of this tune. He's like, oh, Christ, you can't do that. And I was like, shit, I, I get it, because it's, it is naff. I understand that. Like, I, it sounds like like Brian Adams, you know, singing one of his movie soundtrack things. Sure. Which I don't have any trouble with. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing, is that I never listened to music because it, it made me involved in a cool crowd. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt like in a way I'm a, I'm a clusterfuck of a whole lot of like un, um, of, like of influences that are, you wouldn't suspect. Mm -hmm. Um, and I sort of feel too, like that's maybe why I never sort of found that fashionable club to belong to, because I wasn't purely influenced by talking heads and David Bowie, or I wasn't purely influenced by the things that you're supposed to be influenced by in order. Like for me, the 90s were a total write-off. I didn't understand grunge music. It didn't make sense. I was listening to Chick Corea and John Schofield. That, mm. for me, it wasn't like, I don't need to wear this T-shirt to belong because I don't think this music is speaking to me at all. But meanwhile, this sort of burst of jazz fusion, which, if you look back aesthetically, it's, it's, it is pitiful to some degree, sure, but sure, sure. it was a wonderful moment for me, and mm. that's the kind of thing I was after. So I look at kind of the culmination of, like, of of the bad or the bad decisions I make in my in making music, as a lot of like bad de- decisions in the way I curated my listening environment mm-hmm. as a kid. Because I, again, my, and my dad was the same. My dad just loved songs, so mm-hmm. he would buy vinyl records every Friday. He'd come home with an armload. Awesome. And I never knew what was on those things other than one song. Because he wasn't interested in the record, he mm-hmm. was interested in the hit. And if he couldn't buy the forty-five, he'd buy the, the the LP. And as a teenager, I was like, "Well, holy shit! There's other songs on here!" And like all of a sudden, the idea of an album like was new to me. My dad was into hits and singles, right. and huh. um, so I, I I sort of feel like my musical upbringing, and two because I was obsessed with, with as. All I ever wanted to, was to be a drummer, so I followed music for drummers, and um, which led me down that sort of fusion, jazz fusion sort of burst that happened in the in the late 80s. Did you grow up here? In, in I this? grew up in this area, okay. yeah. So, um, yeah, but as the crow flies, I probably grew up about 30 kilometers from here, just a, a little bit wow. further north. and. Huh. And we had a little Radio Shack and Sam the Record Man in Huntsville. It was a dual store. That's where I ended up working as a teenager. And Sam the Record Man hybrid. What hybrid? I know. I know. And it's all. And they sold high-end stereo equipment too. So it was like (laughs) I still have the dent and scratch stereo that I bought, you know, from a fire sale. My, my Yamaha receiver and Polk audio speakers from, like, 1987. Right on. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure we're way off topic. No, no, there's, no, no. There's, there's no topic. But I like on. what you... It's funny because your your question brings up a lot of what I've been thinking about these days. Because when I was younger, there seems to be more... You feel a little bit more desperation to fit in because the music business will spit you out <clears> if it doesn't <throat> like you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and i've been long ago spat out but for some reason i still make a good living doing this job and so i look at like the f- really i read you know the a lot of music criticism and it's really it's it's fashion centric in the way that music is criticized and i think that in a lot of ways that sort of glib criticism in the style of like british british music press especially yeah. the nme like it doesn't it hasn't done a great service to people, and I, I think you start to see the lack of confidence in in that critical analysis because it it is that in and of itself. Talking about um, boardroom thinking, it's groupthink mm-hmm. in a way, and mm-hmm. and there's there it's it's. You know, when I, I this idea of well, guilty pleasures, I was on Twitter the other day and there were people talking about guilty pleasures with music. And I think mm. it's just fucking absurd. Like that is absurd. I've never thought of music as oh well, I have to secretly quietly harbor like the fact that I'm yeah. yeah To me it's like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, if yeah. you like Def Leppard then Be proud. Then you like <laughs>
0: Def Leppard. Like I don't understand. Yeah. At like,
2: one point in your life. I this loved, music meant something to. I love. No apologies. Yeah, I yeah. loved Pyromania sure. and when sure. I hear Foolin I still think fuck it's unreal. Like yeah. it Yeah, nice. I think well we've done.
1: talked about Def Leppard one other time have we? Yeah. with yeah. Dave Clark and okay. he was also talked about. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah, well done. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't uh, I don't have that I don't need to have the music define like it's yeah. I, I, it's right. it's not it's not going it's not a t shirt that I wear that I'm looking for tribal acceptance. Mm-hmm. We're out of high school, people. Right? A little yeah. bit. I mean, yeah, so, come
1: on. But so it's kind of like you're a sounding board for yourself. You're just like what comes off of you or what what music comes into you. If you like it, you like it. That's it. There's no it's, it's, there's no committee, there's no like what did you think of that? <laughs> it's just yeah, I like If you want to be my lover by Spice Girls. I like that song. It's just I'm a no sounding apologies. board for myself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for you your know, own taste.
2: Music for me is is so it's so physical. Um, like I'm a nuts and guts guy. I do not operate well when I start to think, and nuts and guts rule the day. Like I just, I, I things fall out of my body. It's music is just a language I speak. I was in New Zealand two weeks ago um, with The God That Comes and I was talking to my collaborator who all, and director for the show. We, were talk, we talk, a, it's always heady with him. It's always exhaustingly heady when we're together. But backstage conversation is always like exhaustingly heavy. Mm. And I was saying, you know, to this day I'm just a very, very, very good plumber or a very, very, very good electrician. Like, mm. I've always tried to disarm the artiste side of what I do, even though there are artiste, you know, I'm, you see my air quotes, like uh, it's, I've tried to, to, to deflate the specialness because I feel like that, so many things give, give art and music and theater and poetry a bad name because of its self-involvement. You know what I mean? Big,
1: big A art. Yeah, and little a,
2: yeah, and 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 I feel in a way like my body is this grotesque d- device through which I speak this language fluently, and and only because I spent thousands of hours as a mm-hmm. kid obsessively moving mm-hmm. in a direction where I always thought I was gonna die. So, as a kid, I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna die, and I know I have greatness contained within me, so I have to catch. I have to get there before I die. Um, and I'm still driven by a fear of death. But that music thing resides in me as a, he's like a complacent interloper. Like, it's like, uh, yeah, it, it it's just music is absolutely everything still to me. And it's nothing. Because it is, I think if you probably speak fluent If you speak two languages fluently, you're not impressed by the presence of that second language. It's just like, well, it's just there. Mm -hmm. Just like, I'm not impressed by music in me. Like, it's... It's just there. It's just there. Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. impressed in my 20s. I'm seeking Mm -hmm. to impress myself again. Mm -hmm. I think the reason why I've... Collaborated a lot in the la- in re- in the last ten years. I've not made a record on my own. I've started another band. I collaborated on a piece of theater. Um, it's because I'm so sick of some of the habituated elements of music for me that that my hands will reach for a guitar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in that reach, that. That habituated claw will reach for a G major chord, or yeah, yeah, yeah. if I yeah. sit at the kit, yeah, I, yeah. I'm. You'll do it this way, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. You're in a, you're in a bit of a, yeah, yeah. yeah. My you're body to, yeah. is like, it's like the yeah. musculature has been shaped into. I, yeah, it's always. I, it, there's just. Uh, That's an in, really interesting perspective as an artist to try to,
0: like, you're habitual. We all are, yeah. but, but to try to to keep that freshness to the point where. Like I, I just heard a really interesting interview with uh, Dweezil Zappa, mm-hmm. and he was talking about Frank Zappa saying, "If you had one," it, this was on the Mark Marin podcast, and he says something like, "If I, if you had one question he could ask his father was, how with twelve notes did you not repeat yourself?" Or you know, you know that that concept of trying to mm-hmm. always look at something from many perspectives and not, you know, you know what I mean. I see you as seeking. Like they, mm-hmm. we hear this a lot about artists: Are you seeking, or are you in a pattern and just
2: kind of honing that? What's comfortable? I feel I'm always seeking, and I feel like I'm always unimpressed with. I'm I'm impressed in the moment, always, yeah. and then unimpressed later because it's been there, and I've been and done it. Like a song is just is just a romance when you're writing it. It's a 20 minute romance, mm. like you know you go through this ache with it and then once it's sort of born and then you record it all of a sudden your relationship with the song is over and the song Mm. is now you know like the the world is in ownership of that song like I sing it and if people like the song that's it's an added bonus because it's like wow I get to sing a song people really like but I'm not in a relationship with that music anymore. I'm thinking about what is the next thing. Nice. And it's funny because I hear Zappa's habituations everywhere. <laughs> like, I mean, to me, Zappa did repeat himself. Um, most people who make an impact in music do. Huh. Um, I sort of feel like I'm on a always on a bit of a collision course with my audience. Um, I feel like I have been in a relationship of of always minor disappointment. I think that, like, I would have just wished that you too would have continued to make the Joshua Tree. Yeah. I think there's lots of fans of mine that would just have preferred that I would have continued to make Tree Full of Starling or mm-hmm. For Him and the Girls. And um, I, I've been in a kind of mode of thinking about that too. Like, why can't I just be satisfied with a sound that I've created that is in some ways uniquely mine? Mm-hmm. Why can't I just rest in that? Why... Like is there somebody keeping score in the sky like that you know, look at how he was uncompromising and remained so punk rock like three points for him like <laughs> you know what I mean like or I, is that almost
0: like self uh deprecating to be like, I've got this thing, people love it, but you know what? I'm not interested in it are you is that is there something there that's really interesting? Well you know I don't I'm, see it I, I'm with you on that. I think push forward and go where your
2: voice needs to go yeah, but I mean, but you're that guy. I mean, I was listening, I've been listening to your stuff and I can hear your, your demo stuff and I can hear that, you know, when you start to venture into territories that are alien, you are alienated and you are alienating. Like it's,
0: I wanted to ask you, do you feel like an outsider with making music? And I mean, I see you as right in there doing your thing. You're in our country, you're doing, you're in our
2: world, right? Like I feel like Do an you outsider. feel like an
0: outsider? Yeah. Absolutely.
2: That's interesting to me. Well, here it is. It's the Friday. I don't know when, you're, when your podcasts are put yep. up. Yep. But it's the Friday or Saturday morning. Happy Juno weekend. Juno weekend.
0: Happy, so I have I that in my notes for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's in there. Juneau it's supposed weekend. to wish you... I'm sorry I didn't wish you one earlier. Yeah,
2: no, no. So I woke up. I was told you I was up at four this morning. And yeah. I have a, an, unhealthy, an unhealthy addiction to Twitter. Yeah. And so all the music people... Yeah. I was following were just finding their way to bed when I was waking up. And yeah. I thought, it's just, it's another Juno weekend that I'm not at the Junos. I've won three Juno Awards. Okay. I am um, under no illusion that I, that I belong to that community. I'm under no illusion that I'm not willing to play the game. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in the gym this morning at 8.30 because my... Trainer was going to attack me as she always does. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, with, uh, she's sadistic and vicious and like, and, yeah. and I needed to, like, my priorities are changing and my ego is, is always been a healthy, it, it, it's a, there, there's a healthy enormity to it. Yeah. And I nice. was built, I was built to run the gamut and win the game. I'm extremely competitive so there's been a lot over the years of 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 being meditative about my career and about being happy that I am who I am i went and tried to conquer the world and and was almost famous in my late 20s and played that game and um I lost my hearing in France and went into the hospital and canceled the tour, and it cost me tens and tens of thousands of dollars to do it, just because I felt like I needed to save myself and come home and recenter. Mm. And I never... And that summer, I was supposed to tour with Bowie through Europe and Scandinavia, and he had his heart attack, and it didn't... So that kind of went away. Wow. And then all of a sudden, I started to back away from that edge, and... It's taken some time to feel to find that to to renegotiate my with myself my feelings of what success is and what success means to me because like I said like mm-hmm. I knew from a young age that I contained something important I thought mm-hmm. and I knew that music was my thing and I knew it from so young and growing up in the middle of nowhere I practiced my face off because I believed that I had to arm myself. I just figured that city kids were well, in, you know, they were well in advance yeah. of me, and that I was going to come in, and needing to be competitive, and and so yeah. So the Junos happen. It's another year that they happen, and another year that I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I don't belong there. Right. And I don't belong. I I've always been too. Too normal for the cool kids and too weird for the normal stream. So I've operated in my own realm in a way I haven't belonged to the cool scene because I'm too earnest. Mm. You know, that's, I think, with you too, Rich. You uh, mm. Like, you, you, you puke music out with an earnestness. And the thing with earnest people, it's the reason why cool, hip people don't like Bono. And, I mean, I don't like his band anymore, but at a, they, they did, at a time, mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get those glib people on the sidelines going, well, oh, look at that preposterous singer, like, try, thinks he's going to save the world. And it's like, cool people can't be earnest. You either one or the other. Recalcitrance and holding your cards close to your chest mm-hmm. and being reserved, that yeah. allows you to play that part of somebody who is cool. It's not me. I am um I'm a spiller. I'm a an overfilled bucket of water that's always gushing on something. And so my earnestness prevents me from being in a certain club. But and you're absolutely necessary. I will say that like I was
0: one of the notes I made was like reflecting on coming up here was like how I got to know you and 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 you're the phone call the day later. That's very fucking abnormal. And doesn't happen too often in the bullshit kind of Happy Juno weekend to, <laughs> that we're that we enveloped in, right? And and uh, I find that to be I've told you this many times, and really super inspiring. And I think you need that. We need like you. You made a call to me the day after a a show that you had checked us out at, and I thought that was really special. And it said that you're. It kind of made me feel, and still makes me feel, knowing you and and collaborating now, uh, that you're not alone as as that outsider. That the outsiders have a place in a fucking important place to push. Mm. You know, if you start reflecting on the boardroom kind of thinking and mentality, Mm -hmm. like uh, I I see way more importance in. in kind of preserving that voice uh, and, and, and the outsiders, right? I think there is a place and, and now with technology being kind of at a, I think across a bit of a crossroads over the last few years, especially makes it a lot easier to celebrate and, and maybe even I just think keep up the voice of the outsider, right? I, I don't know.
2: Yeah. I, I, I feel, and appreci- well, I appreciate the things you're saying, and um, it's funny, because I just have been communicating with Sarah Sleen again after, mm-hmm. after years of, you know, we made that great record together when we were kids, and I feel like she's been uncompromising always, you know, she's an uncompromising yeah. artist. And I mean, ex- we're talking about working together again and, and I'm really excited. And I, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I was born a grumpy old man in a lot of ways and, 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 and then, you know, growing into my grumpiness. Yeah. Like we came from a time in Toronto. I remember seeing you at the Cameron house, the time you're talking about. Yeah. And came from this sort of, it's, it was a sort of a non-epoch or like a, an. a, a it wasn't a, a defined watershed. In Toronto, there was these unique voices that never came together to create a community that journalists could write about to call it a scene, like what happened 10 years later in Montreal. Mm. All of a sudden, Canada was put on the map. Thanks, Montreal. But in this weird time in Toronto, there was the spooky Rubens, the John Southworth, the you, yeah. the me, the Sarah Sleens. Like, even, even Rufus was an echo of a cabaret pop thing that was happening in Canada that never coalesced in that way that a journalist could have went that was our cabaret pop era you know yeah. so in a way yeah. we had these disparate mega talents yeah with no springboard to kind of go this is a scene this is an event this is a watershed this yeah. is a moment yeah. but i think that there was at that time i used to walk or Dan Brick was another one i'm thinking yeah. i'm yeah. thinking about the people that i used to wander you know, with Empty Pockets, these other poppers in Toronto who were desperate to make their unique voice heard. Southworth and I didn't walk around thinking about how are we going to get a record deal? How are we going to get played on the radio? Yeah. We, were t- we were walking around Toronto talking about how we were going to outdo one another in in our uniqueness or our wow. weirdness oh, wow. and stuff. And so stumbling in to see you perform... Both like, of you guys came that night. That's, that's right. right. We, yeah. were on a, we were probably <laughs> yes. on a stumble that night. Yeah, you like, were. <laughs> you, it was, it was, it was <laughs> memorable. <Yeah>. And <laughs> I sort of feel that, <clears throat> like with everything, there is less and less and less opportunity. So with less opportunity, as applied specifically to the music business, I think that artists are being forced into compromise sooner like I think that the hmm. compromise element is, is a part of the creative element now because it's like okay, we're only gonna get one shot and we yeah. have these two you know avenues through which we can we can try to run this gamut and 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 or run this gauntlet and try to try to get it in you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, I I, and I sort of feel like the uniqueness part. And again, I think, too, we didn't grow up with the Internet. So I have a real I have a an innate trust now of people who didn't grow up with the Internet because it meant the things that they learned came hard earned, you know.
1: Like the porno conversation we yeah, were having we were, earlier. We were talking about came, the Sears catalog. <laughs> before you came, we really got into it. Yeah. Sears catalog and paper porno.
0: Talk about paper porno and, and how innocent it was, you know, and all all that. And know, then what like it must the, be like now that must that be world. fucking yeah.
1: terrifying. Yeah. You kids must be traumatized by their first yeah. <laughs> internet well, excursion. I, I think it's
2: one of the yeah. great I, I think it's I think that's one of the big conversations that's not happening.
1: Oh yeah, <sighs> it's a, it's about to happen. I think it's about to happen as the people who were thirteen, fourteen, when the internet was yeah. ripe, yeah. first becoming ripe, are now being very, uh, who are now in their twenties, yeah. and they have, they're having sex and they're having certain types of sex that they've learned through a, you know, certain type of medium, yeah. and I think there's going to be a lot of questions and yeah. raised eyebrows about what that means. Oh,
0: I think any parent with an eight year old is, or a four year old is (laughs) thinking this now, No, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a scary time. It's a scary age in that regard, but, uh,
1: you you know what? I want to just say what we were talking about. I was thinking about this. You were saying, talking about the internet and also, um, how, you know, how hard it was. It was hard to get music and finding out people in you as an outsider. And I remember the first time I heard uh, one of your songs, it was, uh, It was, I was in a play and the song was like the pre-show music. Oh, cool. And I remember hearing it. It was the last song. It was like the cue. We're going on after this song. And uh, it was like 2003. And it was, I remember being saying, who is this? And I actually found the person in the booth and I was like, who is this? Hmm. It was Hoxley Workman. I didn't know if that was a person or a band. Right. And then Google didn't really exist that well. I mean, it was, but, and it was like, how do I find this? And I eventually got it, I got the record, and I got the song, and then I was kind of protective of it, because it was spoke to me, and I didn't necessarily, I liked it when other people didn't know it. Not to be, like, cool yeah. in that way, but it was kind of like, yeah. it was like, this is my song, and this is my album, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's, it's not necessarily cool. There's, I think there was a certain, it was you, me, and the weather, and for me there was, like, a certain non-coolness about it. Yeah. And then and then now you see, like, what, in your shows, people singing that song. And even still, I'm kind of like, oh, they shouldn't know that song. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that, that song's mine. It, it spoke to me in a real way.
2: Well, we want that possession of our artists. Like, I think about Bruce Coburn for me, is, like, my my guy. Like yeah. Like, he's. <laughs> yeah, I see this. Um, it's funny, because when Bowie died, I got a lot of phone calls that day to, like, wade in on. Uh-huh. Is it Way in or Wade? in wait, it can be You can be yeah. both. Let's yeah, do both. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people just assume that he was my guy. And Bowie was never really my guy. I I love the hits. Like, I'm a hit. But, but Coburn is my guy. He's, the, he's, of anybody I know, I know his music top to bottom. I know it better than my own. Huh. So I feel an ownership of Bruce. And if Bruce made a record that I didn't like, I felt... That it was a personal affront, you know? I think we want that. And I think that when music does speak to you, mm-hmm. that you want to share that unique feeling with the, with the person who made that music. And you don't... It's so intimate. It's, so, it's such a... And, you, and I think, too, like, you want to... You want your feelings to be recognized and to be, um, to be witnessed... But you don't want it to be a mass experience. Mm-hmm. I remember my buddy and I um, traded some tickets to a scalper in Toronto mm. to see Peter Gabriel during his US tour. Mm-hmm. And so we, with a little bit of money and the tickets we had bought initially, we traded up to the third row. And I was right by Tony Levin. Mm. Wow. And is it the Sky Dome, and the show was, um, together by Robert Lepage so very theatrical oh, and wonderful yeah, right <clears throat> and I remember feeling so absorbed by what was happening it was unbelievable I could tell like it was a I was witnessing a spectacle that w- is still left indelible marks in my in my mind I can see it very clearly I can mm. still see your Cameron show very clearly too um, but I looked back behind me and saw that there was several thousand people behind me and I thought, oh, shit, this is idolatry. Like, mm-hmm. this, is not, this is not a mutual... This isn't community. This, we're here to worship this event that is happening whether we're here or whether we're not. And I somehow made a calculation, even as a kid, long before I had become a songwriter or, or you know, a professional performer, that there was a difference between this opaque blast of experience which was wonderful, mm. and it was, like I said, it was idolatry, it was, you know, 20,000 people there to worship this experience. Mm. It wasn't an exchange at all. Like, our, we were giving energy by virtue of our enthusiasm and applause and, and whoops and hollers and stuff, but... um, And when I played at that level, very briefly, it was the coldest performance I'd ever felt. Like, Hmm. For a year or two, we were playing to, you know, between 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people in Europe every night, and it was like, huh, I've never felt so not into this, like, (laughs) I was into it because I was, I was trying to get famous and trying to become popular and trying to sell records and trying to get my name in papers and stuff, like, mm-hmm. wanting to win the game. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, when when you're playing in front of 70,000 people, you're winning the game. Mm-hmm. People are impressed by this. But I think there's, like, your, the power of, of, of a true, like, exchange, an artful intimacy, and this goes back, I guess I'm trying to work this idea of intimacy and wanting to like have that music for yourself. I think once the room exceeds 2,000, it's like, it's not personal anymore. And I think that music, you, once you start to, once it starts to be diluted by, by its listenership, mm-hmm. in a way, I think the I mean, this is an untested theory. This is and not even been crystallized, just come out of my mouth. But like I can imagine that the power of that music and those experiences start to get diluted into as 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 more and more monkeys start to take that music on as their mm-hmm. as their identity, mm. it starts to lose its yeah. its acute depth, maybe.
1: I mm. had an interesting experience last night actually, kind of on that. I went out to dinner late by myself just to get some food. And it, it was an Italian place and there was the music is pretty cranked up and very cool and people are having a good time. And I was just sitting at the bar and eating. And uh Radiohead came on and it was Karma Police, which is a pretty amazing song and it was important for me when I was like mm-hmm, 12 or sure. 13. And I kind of like stopped and the I stopped kind of doing everything and just was like listening. And you're looking around, no conversations have stopped. Everyone's just talking over it. And and the subject matter of the song and what I was feeling and you kind of, it's like, are, are, is this what, what Karma Police has come to? Is like dinner music that people talk over? Because this is not a dinner music song necessarily. This is, and I was literally singing the song. <laughs> I was alone. So it's like, I didn't have any, but it was just, it was like, that's a great scene. Uh, and I almost texted my friend, who was a Radiohead fan, and I just said, I, I, "This is a weird thing. That this is just, mm. just mm. being."
2: Well, I mean, you, mm. I mean, uh, I have. I mean, OK Computer was a huge mm. record for mm. me. The woman I was seeing at the time, she had a job, and I didn't, which would prove in, in the end to be like the, the critical failing. But I used to lay in the tub, listening to that record. And I knew it was unfathomable how amazing it was. Mm. And this is as I was just sort of getting my own balls together to make my first record. And that, you know, to have been... It's it's neat when you get to live in the zeitgeist in a, in a real way. Like, I sort of feel like I'm a Jay-Z fanatic. And I feel like this must have been... When I hear Jay-Z, I think, well, this must have been what it felt like to hear Bob Dylan. It's mm-hmm. like, holy shit, I'm hearing a guy do it the best it's ever been done and the best it'll ever be done. I'm hearing it in the now. I don't yeah. I'm not yeah. I'm not it's not retroactive. Like yeah, yeah. I hear Dylan, and I can only romanticize what it must have felt mm-hmm. like. Right. Same thing with Radiohead. I was living in that yeah. moment, I was the age, right. I was twenty years old, and like you heard this 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 compilation of human awesomeness shoved so so aggressively into this record mm. but then it means something i i had this feeling seeing you too in australia uh the last time i saw them maybe 8 years ago and then you see these you know these guys these these people you, you know they are ki- they got sitters at home like i'm i'm drawing of course i'm being, i'm i'm generalizing but i'm yeah. getting that sense that you know, they were back shouting with Bono and like, you know, wanting, you know, they would have, when Bono was speaking out against General Pinochet, they would have had their their righteousness from college. And here they were with their bellies hanging over their pants and, you know, checking their phones and probably texting the babysitter because there was a third encore they weren't expecting. But so that music that was rebel music for them, that yep. they lived with, that defined them, now they were in a place where it's they gave up on the rebel. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the music that was that accompanied their rebel their rebel era or their their that that rebel epoch for them or their that's why it's hard for people to like new music after mm. 30 after age 30 because and this and this goes into like what I think about drumming too and I know I know we're way 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 off topic but but music the the rock and roll that we like was made by young people who were ready to die, Mm -hmm. which is the same people we send to war. You don't send 35-year-olds to war because there's too much existential angst. All of a sudden, at 35, you know that you have something to lose and you know you have something to gain. But when you're a hammerhead at 20, that's why we loved The Who. That's why we loved Zeppelin. That's why we loved that music. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I think, too... I keep my the, the searching or what we the yeah. seeking the yeah. seeking to me. I try to keep that aggressive recklessness alive in me mm-hmm. because I ha, I'm a I'm a natural. I naturally am a nester. I want comfort and I want a nest and I yeah. want to stay home and I want cozy and I want food Sure. and I want. That's how you create best. Is that's that, what I like. Is it okay? But I think I know that when I hit the stage, I have it has to be. Suicidal.
0: Yeah, the nest is uh, on fire. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because
2: That's like
1: what we were talking about earlier. Yeah.
2: No, no music that that that. And it's funny because I've had people around me like say with recent records that they're like, mm-hmm. "Geez, you know, you can't really play your your record with, around the kids." Like, like what do you like? What do you like? You, don't you think you should maybe? And I'm like, well, you decided to have kids and to sort of normalize and to sort of you know sand off your edges but I didn't I didn't have kids and I still am seeking Mm -hmm. and I still feel that I have a suicidal approach like I have a I still feel music is life and death in that way like Mm -hmm. and when you hit the stage like even as a drummer Mm -hmm. a lot of like the reason that I run and that I train and, and that I'm physical is that drummers need to sound like they're ready to die because all the greats did mm. bonham keith moon like mm-hmm. if you're not hitting the drums like you are like you are ready to die for it then you're not playing rock and roll and mm. i sometimes watch drummers and you see their complacent um their complacent postures at the drum set mm. and i am a i have a a <laughs> convex belly like bonham had a convex belly mm. And I think I, I see physicality in anybody who plays music. Mm-hmm. We talk about Kevin Bright, who we're gonna mm-hmm. work with together. He's got a concave belly, mm-hmm. and he approaches music. Like, he is plugged into a youthful energy because his DNA is programmed a certain way. He has access to recklessness. Mm-hmm. For me, there's always, I f- I'm fighting my convex belly, I'm fighting my complacency, I'm fighting my need to nest. And for me, like that physical fight and r- readiness for war is something that I, I have to nurture because it doesn't come normal for me. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you look at, to me, the archetypal rock star DNA is Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. The longer you can remain beautiful, the longer critics are going to say positive things about you because they need the beauty to contain the message. So Bowie stayed beautiful forever, which is why we believe in in the religion of Bowie. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Simon, who was losing his hair and he's only four and a half feet tall, <laughs> and he wears a weird baseball cap when he plays. Like, mm-hmm. like he's left that realm where fashion or music criticism they won't they can't take him seriously because he has no beauty left. You know, mm. like the beauty element and that archetypal spirit. Like, how do you remain? skinny and beautiful and self-destructive and like you have to in a way keep containing all the elements and juggling all the elements of that archetype Bowie checked out after his heart attack because that was it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like the archetype of and he knows what archetype's all about he knows what artifice is all about and I think that the body and the full head of hair Mm. and these things that are elemental to the way that we require the packaging of music because we require the packaging yeah. or the archetypal rock star yeah. to have a certain body and a certain face and a certain head of hair because that's that's how we absorb it because there's a sexual there's a sexual relationship to that music which goes again to like not wanting to share mm-hmm. your the sexualized element of how we consume music mm. And the beauty element, you want Jeff Buckley to be this tragic star singing Hallelujah because he's so beautiful and he's so young and then he's gone, you know? Hendrix, so beautiful, so young, and then he's gone. Um, I was lamenting to my wife the other day because Mm -hmm. I'm in this band Mounties where Mm -hmm. I get to be the greatest drummer. Mm -hmm. Drums is, that's it. I know that as when it comes, if if I had to race any car, I'd race as a drummer because that's where I know I'm guaranteed to win the race. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in this band where I get to be absolutely myself. Yeah. And I have to sound 18. I can't sound yeah. 41. Right. And I have to throw my body into it. And I said to my wife, lamenting, of course, as I will in my greedy ways, yes. like, Bonham didn't have to sound like Bonham at 40. He didn't get... he. he it was he not an opportunity. Not an opportunity. To yeah. How is he going to sound at 41? How? What What did Bonham... I, Keith Moon never had to sound like Keith Moon at forty-one, mm-hmm. and I saw some footage of Steve Gadd playing in the yeah. Tokyo Jazz Festival, and he's seventy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. and? shit. Well, okay. We don't want our heroes to have to exhibit any fallibility.
0: Tell me this. I am. I've been dying, and I had written this on the ding dong here. Mm-hmm. You know it on the <laughs> yep. way up. I, I read it to you just now how do you want to age as a musician you've been talking about bruce coburn and you've gone through a lot of different examples here mm-hmm. what what does it look like for you like is it, like, like let's face it if we're going to go the we're marathon let's hope we're in this as outsider marathon runners <laughs> yeah yep. that's okay i'm swimmer in my case bad knees okay <laughs> i love it but are you uh Like, what does it look like for you? You, We're going to age. We're going to rot, right? And Bowie is a great example to me of like, holy shit. Like... Even that last ten-minute tune is like, uh, whoa! Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down with a, a little bit of that religion there. I'm, I'm kind of into it. I, mm-hmm. I, I really. And it, just at the end, like I was really moved by the, the outro, mm-hmm. the ending. How do you want to age? What, how do you want to do this? Oh man! Because you can't be eighteen. I don't think you can. Myself included. Like I. That's why I'm choosing mm-hmm. Sinatra. Like redoing Sinatra records for Christ's sake. Because I gotta, I got I gotta bleed this thing out halal. You know what I mean? You uh, can't be. You can't be on stage. Although the Nihilist Spasm band have done it for fifty years. Well, noise music. Mm-hmm. I, I, how do you? What do you? Who do you look out at out there doing it now? Who have gone a longer distance than Jimi
2: Hendrix? It's an obsession of mine. I mean, in the same way that I I obsess about body and body shape and DNA and energy and, and how voice that, and how that translates into your music. Yeah. Yeah. I, I obsess about the longevity. Um I never made a million dollars, so I never I've never been able to take a rest. And so I think in the in the lo- I think in the long term that's been of great benefit to me. Yeah. That I didn't win the game like I thought I was, which has meant that I've been galvanized to keep that competitive spirit. But as I do age and I saw Bruce playing golf uh, about a month ago, uh-huh. and he struggled with certain things on the guitar, and I know because he's a perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist. I know that for him, that must be a huge thing to carry, yeah. that the body, he came up with these complicated guitar, guitar yeah. parts as a 30-year-old, yeah. and now at 70-something, yeah. maybe the fingers aren't, just, aren't as willing or as nimble, sure. and so wh- how do we want to do this? And I don't know. Yeah, I um, when I was in New Zealand, because I am very rarely impressed with the things that happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to re- be reminded, like as I was doing this play, this wonderful play that really affects people. And it's very poignant. It's a wonderful piece of. I built this thing that's wonderful, mm-hmm. and it's like holy shit! Like, I think I'm an artist. Like, I think that in the end, I've got a children's book coming out. I have aspirations that, are, that live outside of music. Uh-huh. And I'm guessing that I will be more like the heroes that I had, which were the guys who were listed on the liner notes of the record and not necessarily the guy on the front cover. We're mm. done here.
0: <laughs> fucking,
1: was, we're done here. That was great.
2: <laughs> it it's fucking sucks getting older. Because it's a youth game. <sighs> yeah. And it's a beauty contest.
0: It's not.
2: It is. It's not. Someone won, I, I don't we're know who said it, but rock, rock
0: and roll is a young man's game. No, we're not in on that game, guys. I, I we're have, simply not.
2: Well, think of this. I'm, I'm a soldier who was trained for war. Okay. And I trained everything about myself to to win the war. And when I went to war, I was very good at it, but I just didn't fit in to any I didn't I didn't fit a sales cycle, I didn't fit into a lane. And I still am that soldier who was trained for combat. So when I hear the the new cool thing, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this is the new young guy. I still, the old soldier in me still wants to go hand-to-hand combat with that guy. This is so exciting to
0: hear. Because that's why I was <laughs> I don't have this in me. Like you talk about the competitive nature. And I, I, when I'm playing a game of bocce in my backyard, you've seen it. I'm competitive. I will kill. <laughs> but at music, I see it as a a way to share like it's
2: just, it's not a but you, that's, it's so different it's weird it's to, beautiful and i'm working towards where you're at that's i'm trying to go when i moved to toronto um it was a different city and i would you know in my my stained jogging pants and borrowed jacket on a bicycle would beautiful. like slowly bike past the rivoli going yeah. one day i'll play the rivoli yeah and when you're a young 20-something trying to affect, trying to, quote, unquote, change the world, because mm. that's what you're there to do. Yeah. Like, I was that kid. And so what I'm having to realize is that I'm not always in a fight with the next generation trying to change the world, because I still contain yeah. that fundamental energy. I still want to build something and smash it. Build something and then smash it. Like... It's, it's, a, it's a compulsion. It's like, yeah. um, and so for my sanity, I've just tried to go where you're going, which is more beautiful, more noble, more true, more Christian, more lovey, more loving, more lovely, more loving. You know what I think
0: about you? A, I love you. <laughs> and B, you do meditate. A fucking you don't stop <laughs> you don't meditating, mean, man. Yeah, that's what it seems like. You do like. meditate. You seems do. Seems like
1: you're a very...
0: <laughs> this man's had too much to think. Wow. I love it. I love it. I really. Happy Juno weekend to happy you. Happy Juno
2: weekend to you guys.
0: Um, man, thank you again yeah. for allowing us this privilege. There's so many, so many takeaways, right?
1: Well. I feel from, like we say this after, after several of our podcasts that we've done is, yeah. we'll, we'll pick this up later. We'll yeah. do it again. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll episode sh- two. Yeah.
0: yeah it's, nice, it's really nice to, yeah. to have that this Thanks. opportunity. Well, you
2: guys are like out putting your balls out, doing stuff, making things.
1: Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's awesome. For sure.
0: did you learn something? good why don't you tweet us at industry tactics throw us a couple of loonies would you that you could do that at patreon.com slash industry tactics and we'll see you again next time with a very interesting conversation we had with the famous painter and musician Mendelssohn joe until then goodbye